On today's episode, we discuss the Snowtown murders, as well as Wayne Nance. You're listening to Bad in the Boondocks, baby. Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks. People put it down, but what you're supposed to do in a small town. Bad in the Boondocks. Bad in the Boondocks. Lord have mercy, can't help it. Bad in the Boondocks. Hey, and welcome to Bad in the Boondocks. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Stan. And I am Drew. Howdy. And we're so glad that you're here. I do want to mention really quickly the little contesty thingy that we have going on, which we've had two entries so far. Um, you, All you have to do is go to the platform that you are using, rate and review us, and take a snapshot of it and email it to badintheboondocks at gmail.com. That way, you will be in a raffle that we will be having in probably two weeks, and we will randomly pick someone out to get a free T-shirt mailed free to you. And a bumper sticker. <laughs> you can't think of what else. I couldn't either. I okay. Just, I, I, I thought think about it for a little bit. I thought that's what you were mouthing. I think a sticker, too. Okay, I'm thinking maybe a magnet instead. I'm going to purchase some magnets today. Okay. That's Um, cool. You want to tell them about Patreon and Premium? Yeah, um, go to our Patreon page, and we have changed the prices, actually, on Patreon, too. Um, The first tier is $3. I thought it was $2. I guess it's $3 now, so $3. And the rest are still the same because I cannot change those without because we have patrons on those tiers, so they won't let me change. Oh yeah, them. oh yeah, that's true. They also have not gotten back to me. I went into Himalaya Premium. We have premium episodes on Himalaya right now. It's four ninety nine a month, and you'll get three extra episodes a month. I was going to change that to two ninety nine a month, but they will not let me change it and they have not gotten back to me and i emailed customer support it makes no sense so i don't know but um check out our twitter page and our instagram go and look up bad in the boondocks and press follow and be a supporter also facebook page like it go to facebook.com look up bad in the boondocks like our page because today we're having a which by the time y'all hear it it will probably be already over with yeah but we're having a little facebook live today Woo-hoo. and it went great <laughs> and it went great because you're listening to it after one person was there <laughs> yeah right. nanny <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's go ahead and get right on into it if you want to okay i do believe it's my turn to go first yes it is all right well, I am going to try to tackle the Snowtown murders. I hope that he's okay. <laughs> I'm just playing. That was the stupidest ass Ooh. joke. <laughs> you said you were going to tackle him. Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> that was so corny. 
Australia, they've definitely seen their fair share of horrible murders and murderers. But none can quite compare to what is known as the Snowtown Murders or the Bodies in Barrels Murders. Not only were the actual killings and torture insanely horrific, but the fact that the victims were relatives, neighbors, and friends, well, that gives it a one-up on the creep scale. What were these murders? The Snowtown Murders refer to the murders of 12, however, 11 convictions, People in South Australia between August 1992 and May of 1999. The murders were brought to light when the remains of eight victims were found in barrels of acid located in a rented former bank in Snowtown, South Australia on May 20th of 1999. This town is in the mid-north of South Australia or about 145 kilometers north of Adelaide. Even though Snowtown is generally tied to the murders, it's important to note that the bodies had been held at various locations around Adelaide for years before they were moved to the Snowtown location. Also, only one victim was murdered in Snowtown, and none of the victims or perpetrators were from Snowtown. Okay. So, in a vacant bank vault, eight bodies were found in barrels on May 20th, 1999. Then, three days later, two bodies were discovered buried in a backyard in Salisbury North, a suburb north of Adelaide. That sounds good. Mm-hmm. Like Salisbury, Salisbury State. Yeah. <laughs> Prior to both of these remains being found, two other bodies had already been linked to the group. What group, you ask? Well, I didn't ask. But, but I saw it. Me. I saw it in your eyes. Well, a total of four people were arrested and charged with the murders. Now I'm going to introduce you to these losers known as the Snowtown Killers. The first douchebag is John Justin Bunting, who was born in 1966 in Anala, Queensland. He was convicted of murdering all victims except one. Bunting is widely considered to be the ringleader of the group, and he's the perfect type of person for this job. He was categorized as being a good listener, kind, compassionate, and empowering, at least from the outside. He had a knack for talking to people, befriending them, and then making them feel so connected to him that they would do just about anything that he asked. However, underneath it all lie the classic serial killer traits. He was abused as a kid, and he became absolutely fascinated with weapons and causing pain. Yeah, but just because you're abused doesn't mean that you turn into a killer. No, however, the majority of killers were abused as kids. Yes, but there are tons that were abused and are just fine. Forensic psychiatrist Kevin Howells has indicated that Bunting's behavior suggests that he lacks emotion and lacks the capacity for empathy. He states that Bunning derives satisfaction from controlling his victims. Now, Bunning's favorite childhood pastime was burning insects in acid. And as a teenager, he was a neo-Nazi. You know, those were very upstanding citizens. Yeah. He once killed a friend's dog and then became fascinated with anatomy. Then, during adulthood, Bunning worked at a crematorium with human bodies. 
He also killed and skinned cats, and then even bragged about how much he enjoyed slaughtering animals. Next up, we have Robert Joe Wagner, a troubled young man who became friends with Bunning in 1991. Wagner was illiterate and had been beaten a lot by his father, who was a strict disciplinarian. He was fascinated by Bunting's charisma and power. Bunning encouraged him to assist in the murders, and Wagner complied readily. Then there was Mark Ray Hayden. I think it's Hayden. <laughs> yeah. He was not convicted of any of the murders, but he did plead guilty to helping the killers to dispose of the bodies. James Vlasakis gradually became involved in the murders and torture. Now, James met Bunning when his and Troy's mother moved in with Bunting. Both he and his brother had been sexually abused as children by his father. James was later abused by his half-brother, Troy. He later became the crowned star witness. Thomas Trevelyan. I think that's how you pronounce it. Any of these names, I think that's how you pronounce it, and if it's not, so sorry. <laughs> he helped with the murder of Barry Lane in 1997, but he was murdered by the gang before police became involved. We then have Elizabeth Harvey. She was Velasquez's wait, Vlasaki's mother. Yeah. She knew about the murders, and she even helped with one of them. She later died of cancer during the investigation. I That's guess unlucky, but lucky. Yeah, you know. But I guess she did get to cross out murder from her bucket list. <laughs> wow. Bunning moved into the Salisbury North home in 1991 and quickly became friends with Wagner and his boyfriend Barry Lane, and also Mark Hayden, all who lived near one another. The various victims were hastily chosen by Bunning by imagined wrongdoings. His main hate was for pedophiles, and he didn't distinguish the difference between pedophiles and being gay. He, he Everybody that was gay was a pedophile to him. Um, some were murdered because Bunning suspected them of being one, usually just because of a rumor. Other victims were killed because of a dislike for obese people or drug users, or for simply being gay, which is weird considering his friends. Yeah, exactly. Almost all of the victims were friends or acquaintances of one of the group. The others were relatives. Sometimes they even were living in the same house with one of the killers. Most of the time, victims' social security and bank info were obtained, and the killers would impersonate the victims to collect pensions. It's known that $97,200 were obtained this way. The last of the murders was done in the bank building after the barrels had been moved there for storage. See, but why not just keep where they were, you know? Well, I guess maybe they were, it was like getting, they thought maybe too many people were coming around and they just kind of moved them around. Because they would move them like from his shed in the backyard to somebody else's house. Well, I mean, I think it would have been just better off just leaving them where they were, you know. Maybe they want to. Well, they put it in the vault, in a bank vault, and it was just a dead building in a tiny town. Why did somebody? I'll tell you. We're going to get there. We're going to get there, son. We're going to get there, son. Okay. All right. 
Reflecting on the scene that was uncovered in the bank, one officer said, Oh my Jesus. <laughs> it was a scene from the, <laughs> from the worst nightmare you ever had. I don't think any of us was prepared for what we saw. And now they do have some people that come from the South in Australia, and that was that accent. You just can't do an Australian accent. I can't. The building was littered with tools that were used by the killers to torture and murder the victims. Some of these were knives, a saw covered with blood, a double-barrel shotgun, coils of rope, rolls of tape, rubber gloves, cloths, and a very metallurgy tool. That the killers used to administer electric shocks to the genitals and other sensitive parts of the victim's body. Mm. You know how bad that would hurt? It would hurt. Because, like, you would just feel it on your finger and then you just like, oh my god, that hurt. Mm-hmm. Then you feel it on your nuts. And, and then you're just like, your penis would be worse, oh I feel. God. That would be awful. All such tools were also found in the bank vault. Oh, Pathologists later revealed that extensive torture had also been used using everyday tools such as pinchers, pliers, and clamps. And all of these such tools were also found in the bank vault with blood on them. The victims were also forced to call their torturers God, Master, Chief Inspector, and Lord Sir. Yes, a master. Lord Sir. <laughs> Now, we're going to meet the victims. Clinton Trezise. How are you? Was 22 years old. He was found buried in a shallow grave in 1994. He was killed in Bunting's living room after being invited over by Bunting. While watching TV on the couch, Bunting attacked him with a shovel, which knocked Trezise face down on the floor. Then Bunning bashed him in the back of the head with the shovel with such force over and over and over that the front of his skull was also fractured in multiple places. Hmm. Ray Davies was 26 years old. Now, he was a mentally handicapped man that lived in a caravan in the back yard of Suzanne Allen, which was an acquaintance of Bunting. Davies became a target after Suzanne accused him of being a pedophile. He was garroted with rope and a tire lever. That was, of course, after he had been placed in a bath and attacked with clubs, repeatedly beaten on his genitals, mm. and had a toe crushed with a pair of pliers. Ah, you know that movie that the guy was had his legs spread open and the other... Not porn. Shut up. Not like that. Oh. And then the other dude came. It was like oh, the days. dude came. Are you sure it's not that time? <laughs> Damn it! I think I mean, just make it one sound man like leg spread open. Another man came. <laughs> I didn't mean to make it's it usually sound called like porn. That. <laughs> no, the guy had this gigantic hand. Oh, Damn it. oh Jesus Christ! It was gigantic. <laughs> Take it. Y'all heard it here. I didn't mean to make it sound like uh, that. Yeah, you keep saying that. <laughs> the big old. <laughs> wow. <laughs> You know, How did we get talking about porn? <laughs> those hammers. Oh, hammer. The big old ham. Okay. Hammers. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he just shoved it, it in. And, no, he didn't shove oh. it in. He just did it up and then he just did swung it back and then pow. Right there. 
Right. You remember right that there. movie? Mm-hmm. It was horrid. No, we did not watch that movie together, y'all. What are you talking about? Whatever porn you were talking <laughs> it's about. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's from the old. It's from like some kind of Spartans and crap. I don't know. All right. <laughs> Thank just for, you for just the, a fun fact. That extra. If anybody knows that movie and recognizes what I'm saying, um, please email us. Elizabeth Harvey was there for this and even stabbed him in the leg multiple times with a plastic tool. After dying, his body was dumped in a hole in Bunting's backyard. It was a plastic tool. Yes, it was like a spike like thing, a sp- but it was plastic. Spork. No, not a spork. It was like a little plastic, almost like um one of the little things you have for tents and stuff, like a steak, a plastic steak. That would actually pretty bad hurt. Yeah, it would. Because yeah. he did it, she did it in the front of his leg too, like where your bone and stuff is. Oh, how did it even go through? Why didn't it just? Well, it didn't break? go through the bone; it was next to it. Mm. Okay. Um, Davies, he was never even reported missing. Yeah. Suzanne Allen, she was forty-seven years old, and she was obsessed with bunting, and they had a sexual relationship, if you know what I mean. Yes, I do. However, Bunting grew tired of her obsession. Suzanne was found later, her body dismembered and wrapped in plastic bags on top of Davis in a grave in Bunting's garden. After her death, the group continued to collect her pension checks, and this is the one that they were like that Bunting was not convicted of. The jury couldn't decide why not because they claimed that they found her dead of a heart attack and then they just dismembered her body and buried it but they didn't kill her so like why was he not even tried for anything else done to her body because that's that's like i don't don't, know i don't know what it's called after the person's dead and you all tampering with a crime scene i don't know something with a corpse dismembering a corpse that's that's it Uh, Michael Gardner, now he was just 19 years old. He was an openly gay man who had been abused by a family friend when he was young. I don't see how he didn't get killed. Oh, he is. His father resented him because of his sexual orientation. Bunting and Wagner abducted Gardner and took him to a shed in the backyard of Bunting's house. They then tied him up, tortured him, and strangled him. He was killed because Bunning suspected he was a pedophile. After murdering Gardner, his killers hacked up his body and put them in a barrel in the shed. Barry Lane. Now, he was 42 years old, and he was a gay man and a cross-dresser that had been in a relationship with Wagner when Bunning first met them. Once Lane and Wagner split up, though... Lane was fair game. Lane had all of his toes crushed. Then they beat him before finally strangling him. His body was also dismembered before being put in a barrel. You know the, the, um, what do you call that word? I would say pain, but I didn't want to say pain. It's, what is it called? I think it starts with like a D. Damn pain. Yeah. <laughs> I will just say that. And about getting your toes crushed, 
I mean, delirious. You would be delirious. I mean, it's like a pair of pliers are oh my gosh. on your freaking bones. I think your you just, body would just go into shock after that. I don't know if you'd feel anything else after that. I would hope that my body went into shock. Next, we have Thomas Zravilian. Wait, Zravilian. Yeah. We'll go with that. He was 18 years old, same age as you, and mentally disabled. <clears throat> Shut up. Shut up. Don't you say shit. Shut up. He was found hanging from a tree in Adelaide Hills. First, it was thought that he had committed suicide. However, he had helped in the murder of Barry Lane. But afterwards, he was killed because he discussed the crime with others. Wow. And he was a paranoid schizophrenic. Wow. You know, I find hangings almost the worst type. Well, I mean, of kill only because you have you to suffer? sit there. Unless if you break your well, neck. Well, if you're the killer, you have to sit there and watch the person dangle for minutes until they're dead. Yeah, that's something. But that else. might be would something. But they I would love, love. But I love, you love it. No, I I try to find I try I, I try to find stories on it. I just can't I can't find it. And by stories, do you mean videos? Video stories, something so that I can. Oh, I would. Play I'm it. learning so much I about would play you today. It, though I thought I knew you, but my I son. It, no, I thought I, just, I knew. You. I'm just saying. I think that's fascinating. I might have to look up under your Shut bed up. and mattress. Shut up! Time. I ain't got no damn bed. I sleep <laughs> on the couch. The phrase "sleeping on your um, mama's couch" comes from me. You've had quite a few beds that you don't. But I don't like sleeping in them. Right, so. but don't be saying it like we don't have you a bed. <laughs> <laughs> Gavin Porter, he was he was 29 years old. He was a heroin addict, schizophrenic, and a friend of Vla, Vladaticus. Yeah. Vladicus. Wow. Thanks for that Excuse belch. <laughs> he was killed because Bunning was pricked by a syringe that he had left on the couch. He was strangled in his car while he was kind of passed out slash sleeping. That's pretty messed up. Troy, you... He was 21 years old, and he was Vlasaki's half-brother. He was dragged. Now, this is the boy. This is the half-brother that um, supposedly molested him. He was dragged from his bed before being murdered, and this was actually the first murder that Vlasaki's participated in. Fred Brooks was 18 years old. He was intellectually disabled. He was the son of a woman in love with Bunting. He was chosen simply because he was an easy victim. After being invited over to Bunting's house, he was horrifically tortured until he died. Brooks was administered electric shocks to both his penis and testicles. Ow. And after all of his toes were crushed... And his nose and ears were burned with cigarettes. He had a burning sparkler pushed down into the tip of his penis. Oh, my God. He was then allowed to choke to death by his gag. Wow. Gary O'Dwyer was 29 years old. He was disabled from a previous car accident and was on a pension. Unlike the others, O'Dwyer, he was actually a stranger, and he was chosen because he was just an easy target. 
He was murdered in his own home by Bunting, Wagner, and Vlasakis. You know, never mind. I'm not going to say it. What? Because I, I, never mind. I was, I was going to say that must have been an expensive catheter, but never mind. Wow. <laughs> Sparklers are pretty cheap, though. Yeah, that is true. For the sparks. Elizabeth Hayden was 37 years old and the wife of Mark Hayden. You know, the guy who helped dispose of the bodies. Yeah. She was killed by Bunting and Wagner in her home when Mark was out. David Johnson was 24 years old, and he was Vlasaki's half-brother. This is the only victim that was actually killed in Snowtown. Johnson had pieces of his flesh sliced off of his body in which were then fried and eaten by Bunting and Wagner. Bunting was extremely upset that he had died so quickly. Wow. So he wanted to have some fun with him after he died, which is why he ate part of him. That sounds good to you, don't it? The bodies in barrels. I'm not even acknowledging that. Sure. (laughs) I'm on a diet. Yeah. No flesh. (laughs) (laughs) The bodies and barrels were stored in several different places before finally being moved to the bank vault in Snowtown. They were once stored in a shed behind Bunting's house in April of 1998. Then later in 1998, the three barrels stored there were moved to Hayden's property. Then five barrels filled with bodies were stored in a Toyota Land Cruiser in Hoyleton. A sixth barrel with a body was stored into a Mitsubishi Sigma. Finally, the vehicles were moved to Snowtown, where the barrels were stored in a bank vault that was being rented by Hayden, even though he was using a fake name, Mark Lawrence, to rent it. The movement of unknown vehicles in Snowtown, which is a very small town of a few hundred, where things like that are noticed, and the loading activity and unloading activity of the old bank led to a search of the bank building. The bank building? The bank building. The bank. Wait. You said a search of the bank building. Right. Because they kept brought Suspicious the cars there. activity. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. That'd be like us going in Springfield and like driving some unknown cars at night and start unloading barrels into a vacant building. You know somebody would be like, hmm, what is going on? Well, then everybody be, really. yeah, they would. I don't not. Yeah, they would. Yeah, they would. Now, if you go to Norway, no, Springfield would. Um, when the suspicious barrels were discovered, the bodies found inside were mummified. Okay, that was error on the killer's part, though, because it saves all the damn evidence. They had put acid in the barrels to dissolve them. However, they chose to use hydrochloric acid, and that only mummified the remains instead of, you know. Get rid of anything. Wrong type of acid. Exactly. The first of the accused to be sentenced was Vlasakis. He was given four life sentences in June 21st, 2001, after he pleaded guilty to four murders. Bunting, Hayden, and Wagner pleaded not guilty to ten counts of murder. The trial for Wagner and Bunting began October 14th of 2002, but it wasn't long and there were problems with the jury. One member of the jury refused to continue due to the horror of the evidence. 
However, some sources report that three jury members quit for this same reason. Nonetheless, both Bunting and Wagner were found guilty on September 8th of 2003. Bunting was convicted of 11 murders, while Wagner, who had ended up pleading guilty to three murders, was convicted of seven murders. Then why not just um, not plead guilty? I don't. They were sentenced to life on each count to be served cumulatively after the judge stated that there was no hope for rehabilitation for them. Hayden, however, was not convicted of any murders, but ended up with being convicted of seven counts of assisting offenders. Dude, that would just suck. He had been charged with two counts of murder, but the jury could not ever reach a verdict on that. As far as the charge to Bunning and Wagner concerning the death of Suzanne Allen, it was dropped when a jury was unable to reach a verdict. They have all exhausted all their chances for appeals, and all were denied. Okay. So, the guy that got seven counts of assisting, or whatever you call it, a killer, basically, does he get a chance to get out? Possibly. Or, like, do you know if he's already out? No, he's not out. Okay. I'm just making sure. All right. Do you have a story for us today? Well, first off, I thought that was a very disturbing case. I think all of our cases are disturbing yeah, anything I that also, deals with murder is disturbing. I found it very disturbing, the things I learned about you today. No, I'm just saying, like... The things that I learned. And then there was you that... You think you know your child. Um, And then there was that movie Sinister. And oh my God, it was so scary. How what the hell are you talking about? The people were hanging from the tree. The family was hanging from the tree. And I was like, oh my God, that's something else, you know? Yeah, You're something else. Of course, I've got a story. You got something in your hair right here. What I don't know it? what it is. Something white, but <laughs> oh my god, it was a piece of snow. Ha! Snow town. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Well, anyways, I am going to be doing Wayne. Yeah, you do them. I'm not going to be doing them. I'm going to be discuss talking. <laughs> I'm going to be um discussing Wayne Nance. This is a strange case in itself because, well, you've never sort of really heard of a killer that was killed by his victim. Except for the, the Candyman. Candy I know that, but I'm saying never really. So you're sort of saying like you've sort of, you're sort of not really heard. A, a lot, lot of times. Yes, thank you. Yeah. But that's exactly what happened to Wayne Nance in 1986. Just a few years after my birthday. Yes, I know that. Y'all were some messed up people. I ain't gonna lie to you. It, it was something. Y'all was some messed up It was people. that post-drugs phase. Dude, because uh, almost every single one comes from Around the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, 80s. exactly. Mm -hmm. Messed up people. Wayne was born in Masula, Montana in 1955. His mother was a waitress and his father was a truck driver. They lived in a mobile home on the very edge of town. Wayne did great in school, but everybody that knew him said that he had a very hot temper and he was a troublemaker. He flew through school and graduated with ease. But you know that one kid that he's a little weird and you're just not sure about him, but everybody seems to like him. Damn it. Everyone seems Kinda. to like me, but 
Kind of know what you're talking about. Okay, whatever. <laughs> um, well, that was Wayne. A few houses down from the Nance family lived the Pounds family. Donna and Harvey Pound were the parents of Kenny, Corinne, and Kathy. Now, I didn't put the ages because I'm not exactly sure how old Kenny is, but he he's in the military, so he's in his 20s at least. You know? Or he's at least 18. That's true. Um, Donna worked at a Christian bookstore in Missoula, and Harvey worked at a clothing store for men. Harvey was the deacon at their church, the Bethel Baptist Church, so the family was very religious. So he was a pounding deacon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. April 11th, 1974. A her- <laughs> what is all the giggling? <laughs> a horrific act. I just ate some brownies. I'm just playing. A horrific act had occurred. Harvey and Corinne were at work. Kathy was at school. And Kenny was away in the army, leaving Donna by herself. A man walked into the house while Donna was in her bedroom. He grabbed Harvey's twenty-two caliber German pistol. You know, assuming that he knew where it was, which he did. Obviously. He saw Donna in her bedroom and rushed towards her. After tying her up with clothesline that he had brought and gagging her, he raped her. After he finished raping her, he threw her underneath the stairs in the basement and shot her five times in the back of the head. Of course, his escape wasn't too shabby because he left a witness who said they saw Wayne in the backyard of the Pound's residence the same day Donna was killed. Since the Pound family and the Nance family, you know, lived in the same vicinity, of course, Wayne went over to the house frequently to hang out. That's how he knew where Harvey's gun was kept. Police came along in the neighborhood and started questioning different residences. They came to the Nance residence and questioned Wayne, in which he replied that he had been sick in bed all day. Well, the police thought that this story was bullshit and took it upon themselves to acquire a search warrant. I bet you they said, it's bullshit. Exactly. Bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> They found a pair of underwear belonging to Wayne that had blood on them and had been washed recently. Okay, first of all, let me just... I give him props for washing his underwear. But... I don't think that's anything strange. Yes, people recently wash underwear after they wear them, especially if there's blood in them. And there could be blood in them for a multiple... He could be bleeding out of his penis. You don't know. He could be. He could also be having some serious crabs that are causing some blood going on. Oh, wow. He could have tried to trim his bush and accidentally cut himself. He could have all... That is true, but they were covered in blood, so it makes you question how they were covered in blood. They don't know how he identifies. Jesus Christ. (laughs) That's a good point. Thank you. But... Maybe Wayne was Wynette. In all reality. His name was Waynes. And he was on the dot. (laughs) But they had no physical evidence against him because the blood on the underwear could not be identified. Wayne was a major suspect, but so was Harvey. It was found at the time of the murder that Harvey was having an affair. Oh. But police could not find evidence against him either. It wasn't looking good for the investigation at this time, having two likely suspects but no evidence. While the trail went cold, Another body turned up in 1979, 
by a group of railroad workers. She was badly decomposed near I-90 in Missoula. She was white and wearing a flowery dress. The poor woman had been raped and stabbed to death. Police tried to identify her, but failed. So, <laughs> she was given the name Betty Beavertail. By who? By the police, because they couldn't find the name, so they just... So why did they name her Beavertail? I don't know. It said in the police reports that she... Why not call her Jane Doe? ...gave the name, because cause there's multiple um, people dead, so you sort of and have you to say, all... like, Jane Doe 2, Jane Doe 3, you know? Better than Miss... Jane Dojo. Than Jane Dojo. Betty Beavertail. That is also true. Man, that sounds quite vulgar. It sort of does. It sounds like an insult, does it not? Like, did she have a... I don't know. Beavertail? You don't going. know how she lives. I don't know her how <laughs> she lived. I don't. While all this terror was taking place, Wayne was getting all lovey-dovey in the summer of 1984 with a woman named Robin. That was a good year. I was two years old. They stayed together, living in Missoulot, till September. Then they decided to leave town. Through the woods of Missoulot, about three months after the couple left, another body was found by a wildlife photographer. Sure, and let me just tell you, when they say that, that's usually a creep. They are not out there looking at wildlife. They're looking through people's windows. That could be true but you never know he was walking through the woods when he noticed a human foot sticking out of the ground it was a grisly sight for the police another poor woman dead in their town please tell me what Susie squirrel <laughs> Susie squirrel <laughs> of course after being examined she also cannot be identified well gosh it's Susie squirrel isn't it but she had been shot in the head three times until recognizable, so, I mean, you know, they didn't have too much identification, what do you call it, equipment then. No, they didn't have it like they did. They, they just, couldn't just, just put her DNA through. She would just have to look at them, really. Right. But, you know, you sort of, they do check through their the missing yeah. persons list and try to find it. But you know, nothing comes. They're like, oh my gosh, is this Betty Boofertail? (laughs) (laughs) They gave her the nickname, Debbie Deer Creek. Now in September 1985. Where was this? This was in Missoula, Montana. Montana. (laughs) God bless y'all listeners that are from there. Now in September 1985, here came a little old bear hunter oh my god so now we've done had railroad workers railroad workers and then a freaking nature (laughs) quote-unquote photographer photographer and now a bear hunter hunter. well what was he doing in the woods i think well not really in the woods but he was looking for some bears until he tripped over a collection of scattered bones on a hillside in west masula gosh gosh Gosh, damn it it. you hurt my toe (laughs) Police searched the area, finding the woman's skull, declaring that she had been shot two times in the head. This woman was dubbed Christy Crystal Creek because she could not be identified. Although police did suspect she may have been Asian because the way her teeth were matched those of Asian ethnicity and her eyes, you know, 
you know, sort of oh, bad no, of Asian ethnicity. Just a little bit. So it sort of made it seem like, well, no, maybe you she didn't. is, maybe she's not. No, you didn't. <laughs> she already's been insulted. I think that they're cute, though. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Gone Crystal Lake, Crystal River, whatever. His next whatever. victims were Crystal Mike. Creek. Were Mike and Teresa Shook. Shook it all up. Yeah. They were a married couple and had three children. On December 12, 1985, the family were just finishing up dinner when they heard a loud knock at the door. Bang, bang, bang! Open up! I'm just playing. He didn't say that. Mike left from the kitchen to go open the door, and when he did, a man jumped towards him with a butcher knife, stabbing him until no longer alive. Teresa didn't really know what to do, so she just stood there in shock. Okay, what you do is you turn around and your ass gets to run. <laughs> That's what you do. Yeah, but you won't leave your kids. The hell I might. I know that you would. Your ass would be leaving me. There ain't no need for me to be dead. I ain't going to do no good to you then. And you know what they say, kids that grow up without parents, they I'm don't turn out fine. good. Some of them were a lot of so them I ain't just need fine. for both of the a parents to be dead. A lot of them just fine. It's rare that you actually. I'm gonna tell you to run as I go by you. I'm gonna say, "Get out! Get out! Get out!" <laughs> but I can't stop and pick you up See and stuff. See yourself running out the freaking, jumping out the window, breaking it. Mm-hmm. I'm gone, boy. Um, the man grabbed her, knocked her down, and then drug her into the bedroom where she was tied up. Screaming for her life, he raped and then stabbed her to death. If she had ran. The three children, I assume, this isn't 100% certain, but I think that they may have ran into the bedrooms or a bedroom or another room. And the person just let them live, even though they got a sight of them? How old were the children? They were young. Uh, They were young. Young children. Well, younger. Like enough to walk. And run. But just younger. They weren't like teenagers. They were just younger. Right. Okay. After he finished the kill, he set the house on fire. With the children in it? Yeah. The children made it out safely, though, because they ran out as soon as he set it on fire. Uh. I mean, but Wayne got himself a job. Working as a delivery driver for Conlon's Furniture in Missoula. His manager was Chris Wells a married woman who Wayne had developed a crush on. Chris and her husband, Doug, were returning home one night in September 1986 when Doug spotted something, and it looked like a gosh star man standing in his yard. Well, it when was. he got out to... It to, was a bear. When he got out to look, he found Wayne in the bushes. Jacking off. Well, guess what? Guess what Wayne's response was? Jet came, he came. He thought he saw a figure resembling a man looking into their window. Holy shit, and he was trying to protect them. So he them. used the same excuse as the, So he basically said that. Right. You know He's saying? like, you thought you saw a man. I thought I, thought I, I saw, saw a man. man. <laughs> you know? Um, Doug and Wayne walked inside. Why is my penis in my hand? Oh, I, I don't know. I was going to shoot him, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> Doug and Wayne walked inside, and when Doug went to go get a flashlight, he struck him over the head with his gun. He began to bleed his out. gun, quote yeah. unquote. Yeah. He began to bleed out instantly. Doug grabbed Wayne as they fell to the floor, and the two struggled for a bit. For a, just a wee bit. A Wayne, wee bit. Wayne then managed to get up and pointed the gun at C- 
Chris. Now, Chris is the wife, just mm-hmm. in case you didn't know, because you know it's Chris. When she came running in to see what was going on, he forced Chris to tie Doug's hands and feet up. Then he tied up hers and drug her to a bedroom where he tied her to the bed. With Chris being tied up, he went to go deal with Doug, dragging him into the basement and tying his neck to a metal pole. He went back upstairs, got a butcher knife from the kitchen, and stabbed Doug in the chest, just missing his heart literally by, like, nothing hardly, you know. Mm -hmm. But anyways... Wayne thought he was dead, so he started his way back up um, up the stairs to the bedroom where Chris was. Doug was not dead, though, and had broken free from the ties, so he grabbed his wife rifle from the basement and made his way up the stairs. At the top of the stairs, he saw Wayne, in which he shot and hit him in the side. He tried to get back up, but failed, and he died there. Chris and Doug were quickly taken to the hospital, where they survived. Police investigated further and revealed this is a sh- freaking shocker right here. You want to hear it? It's a shocker. Remember Robin? Uh-huh. Okay, this is a shocker. You act so enthused. Well, go ahead. Good lord. <laughs> well, anyways, it, they revealed that 16-year-old Marcy Bachman had went missing from her home. In Vancouver. Now, who is Marcy? She had went missing from her home in Vancouver. No one knew what could have happened to her. In 2006, better DNA testing was done to the victim, Debbie Deer Creek. You remember her. And it was revealed that she was Marcy Bachman. But it doesn't end there. You remember the woman named Robin? That that was Wayne's girlfriend. This was Marcy, and right after they had left the town of Missoula, he killed her and dumped her body there. So Robin was Marcy. Yep, and Debbie okay. Deer Creek, so it all added up. Police found evidence in his home that linked him to her murder and six others. Betty Beavertail oh my God. was identified as Devana Nelson a 14-year-old girl who had ran away from her home. Gosh, these were young people. Yeah, I know. I were thinking they were older. See, but they said like young women because they didn't know really how old they were because, I mean, they were just bones there. Yeah, but you can tell a lot of bones. Christy Crystal Creek, well, she's still unidentified to this day. It is not certain how many people Wayne actually killed, but there was evidence linking him to Christy Crystal Creek's murder and numerous other murders in Missoula, Montana. And that's my story. That was great, wasn't it? That was something else. That was good. That was something else. I cannot believe that Robin... Poor Robin. Because I was wondering, like, what the world happened to her while he was doing all this? And I was thinking, well, maybe he just sort of left, you know, while while she was, like, at work or something. But no. No way. No. No way. No way. She was deer creep. Yep, yep, she was Debbie. Debbie, old Debbie. Old Debbie, poor things. Well, that's our two twisted tales for today. I feel bad for both. I feel bad cases, people. For all of the victims is given names by the police in your story. Yeah, that was pretty messed up. I don't really know why. They came up with those names. I don't know. 
but it was, I don't know. I really couldn't tell you, to be honest with you. But that was great, dude. That's totally radical. Y'all. We love that you stayed tuned till the very end, whoever's still listening. (laughs) (laughs) What? No one cricket sharpened? (laughs) Anyway, please go and give us a rating and review and then just... Take a snapshot of it and send it to our email, badintheboondocks at yeah. gmail.com. You might win yourself a magnet. A free car. I'm no, you won't. You won't. <laughs> a magnet and a t-shirt, though, which is just as cool. So you said, so no bumper sticker? Or a bumper sticker? I don't sticker know, too? but I know I a t-shirt. I don't know. It's mixing it and matching. Whatever, I know a t-shirt. Whoever wins, we will ask you which, what you want. which ones yeah. do you want. So like we'll do like, yeah. So there you go. Tell a friend. Make sure you subscribe. And as always, I've been Stan. And I'm always Drew. And we love you all. We love all people in the world. See ya.